Hello there. Rowdy Roddy Piper, main offense material. I got Haku and his manager, Boobsy. Boobsy, he nerd. When I get through with Haku, Boobsy, he gonna be crying like... Like Zsa Zsa Gabor in court. <laughs> Only her hair looks prettier. She's probably smart. Oh, yeah! Long live Randy Savage, the Macho King. And long live the Queen of the World Wrestling Federation sensational Sherry Superfly Snooker. Get ready for a royal pain from the kingdom of the madness. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Wow! Tell your mother! The Bushwhackers are here on nationwide television! Bloody lovely! Right cousin Luke! Right cousin Butch! Everybody here in America is going to see the Rougeau brothers get a licking. Bloody lovely! <laughs> Ted DiBiase here, the million-dollar champion with the million-dollar belt. And tonight, the million-dollar match with Hulk Hogan. Am I worried? No. Why? Because I've got the million-dollar insurance policy. Zeus! No! 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 You may have millions of dollars, brother, but the Hulkster has millions, too. Millions of little Hulksters, that is. Your money may have bought you, Zeus, the human wrecking machine in your corner, but all your money can't buy you the World Wrestling Federation Championship. By the time this match is over, multi-million dollar man, me and all my Hulkamaniacs are going to stamp all of your checks in sufficient funds. Oh, what's this? Tinky's a cunt. There we go. That's my note for next week. Lovely old job. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, that'll, I'll stick that on the front of the episode, I think. <laughs> that's, the, that's the poster sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review, a podcast that sincerely does try to stay on topic, but is all too easily distracted by hairstyles, a lack of elbow slash knee pads, and odd-looking members of the crowd. I'm Ben Spindler, and helping me to keep this ship on its intended course is someone who has a -a once-in-a-generation talent for saying things that keep me up at night, worrying about whether I should edit them out of the show or not. He's old man, Sam Kerry. Uh, I'd like to keep you on your toes, Tinky. I'm happy to be here, because... I'll be sleeping all right tonight, but I don't think you will be. <laughs> That's it. I don't mind being. Don't mean I don't mind being kept on my toes, but it's just the lack of sleep <laughs> that is the problem. Yeah. And also with us is the PWI Award winner for best impression of the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, well done, Tommy. 
He was also shortlisted for most realistic Ted DiBiase laugh, though fell short in the category of Bret Hart saying my lovable brother Owen. He's Tom Smith. The Northern Irish Bret Hart, his <laughs> brother, my my brother Owen. That's Scottish. My brother Owen, um, well, thank you very much. And like, like when I uh, won my PWI award for my best Randy Savage impression, the cream rises to the top. Yeah. <laughs> so stand him. On it command. Is. On command. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, old oh, man, you can you can do an impression on command though as well, can't you? Hey, what are you talking about? And uh... That's the one I was talking about. <laughs> Not the Geordie, the uh, the Sting. Uh, as always at this stage in the show, I'm going to point you in the direction of our social media channels. We are out there on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at UK. So make sure you follow us to keep up to date with everything we do in between the episodes. And guys, we're, we are discussing today Saturday night's main event, 23 from 1989. Now, this is I was interested, actually, because I watched this on Saturday and was thinking, hmm, is everyone going to watch the right one? Because it's a little bit weird on the net on the network. You've got to make sure you've got to be very careful. So this might be quite interesting right from the get go. We're going to find that someone has watched the wrong one. Who knows? It, t- it took me ages to find it. Me too. And then I was looking through the history of WWE.com, which is a very, very good resource unless you, if you haven't seen it before. Basically, it's got r- ring results for basically every show WWE's done from about 1965 through to 2015 or something. And I was looking well, at... What's nice... happened the last six years? Uh, they couldn't be bothered and i was looking on uh, 1989 and I, I was trying to find it and it, it was listed under the main event not saturday night's main event but i am i am absolutely certain it is a saturday night's main event and we saw it was but uh, they for some reason just missed out the saturday nights ahead of the main show so i was also worried by that well and what made it extra confusing is that i looked it up to make sure i was getting the right one and of course i saw the record dates which is obviously because of the way time works is different to the air date. And then I was confused and then I had a little cry. <laughs> so, yeah, um, Saturday night's main event 23. And we start with a lovely, as as was customary, I think we're finding as we've seen these Saturday night's main events, we start with a slew of promos to get us started. So we get hang Piper. On, hang on, hang on, hang on. What's happened? You're messing with convention, man. I know, I know. I'm all over the place. Let me let me do this bit, and then we'll get to the convention. All right, cool. <laughs> Just because then it'll make it look like I haven't forgot. It's brilliant. So we start with Piper cutting a promo straight to camera about Haku, and he says something about Zsa Gabor as well, which I wasn't really aware of what the context for that was. Um, then we have Savage and Sherry talking about Jimmy Snooker. Then the Bushwhackers, who say bloody lovely a lot, which is uh, oh, a catchphrase very amazing. similar to this show, I believe. Bloody lovely! They have a match coming up against the Rougeos. We have DiBiase with Zeus ahead of the match versus Hulk Hogan. And finally, Hogan hyping his match with the multi-million dollar man. He keeps saying multi, doesn't he? All the he time. It. Multi, not multi. Multi. multi yeah. So I guess this is a good point, given that shows us effectively what's on the card of what our expectations were going into this event. Oh, man, why don't we start with you? So my timeline's all over the shop here. I don't really remember. I realise this when we're going through these shows. Can't remember when anything happens, really. So I never know what's going to come. Obviously, as we established with the Saturday Night's Main Event, we covered. He's not going to be main event. He'll be hidden away somewhere in the middle of the show. I knew this was going to be an hour or so, and it was going to be all right. But I'd be lying if I said I was excited about it, to be honest. Because when we watched Saturday Night's Main Event 1, 
me and Tommy gave it a decent old rating, and uh, I think I was a bit generous, to be <laughs> honest. I think I'd have to agree with you, if I'm honest, old man. And uh, just to also give you uh, a context of what your other Saturday night's main event score was, because we've watched two of them, and we also watched Saturday night's main event 15 way back in March. You gave that a 7 out of 10 for Saturday night's main event, 7 out of 10, which is, uh, yeah, I'd say very generous. But who knows? Maybe we're not going back hey. to watch it again, so it's staying. So. No. In fairness, the proof's in the pudding, because I can't remember us watching it. <laughs> and I ain't got a bloody clue what was on it, but I bloody enjoyed it. That was Hogan and Harley Race. It was. It was. Hogan that was a great match. Tom, what were your expectations? My expectations are sky high, as well. You know, with this <laughs> this era, like regarding what what I apply to these these um this era. Every time that I watch it, I will give it a score, and then I'll just like add a, a two points on it just for <laughs> being in that time frame. So. I was already looking forward to it. I love the opening credits and I know it's in the build up to one of my favourite pay per views ever, which is Survivor Series eighty nine. So I was yeah, I was loving it already. I was, I was I was so I was happy, I was rubbing my hands together. I watched it twice, boys. <laughs> oh, I, I genuinely beautiful. did. So the fir- the first time I was trying it, I was I was sat I got up on Saturday morning and watched it with um with baby Shinsuke. Um but I couldn't take notes I had my hands for, so I watched it again today. And both times I had the time of my life watching it. And that would be the case anyway. So, you know, it's very high expectations, as I'm sure you boys can imagine. I mean, if we were doing this properly, we'd watch every single one of these shows twice through before we reviewed them, wouldn't we? So, you know, Tom's just really fulfilling the the professionalism that we really all should be throughout this entire journey. Um, imagine watching Fastlane 2017 twice. I mean, it might be better the second time through. You never know. It might be better the second time well, through. Well, we had this with Sold Out, our second show ever. I watched it twice. You did. It doesn't get better. <laughs> the only thing that was better about it was that I knew for a fact that the taking off and then putting on of the jacket happened. <laughs> Go on, Miss Elizabeth. Did you even watch the Miss NWO swimsuit stuff or whatever it was called a second yeah, time? I, I watched the whole thing because the first time I watched it, there was a lot of stuff going on. I can't remember what, to be honest. But I was like, I need to watch this again because I'm not going to be able to contribute. In the end, me and Tommy just ended up having a few beers and just laughing our heads off for two hours. So it all went out beautifully for everyone. So part of the course for the, uh, yeah. the random wrestling review then. Uh, my expectations were on a similar part to Old Man. Actually, I was really quite dreading it, if I'm honest. I was remembering back to Saturday Night's Main Event 1, mainly, and thinking I gave that a 1 out of 10, Saturday Night's you Main did. Event 1. And I thought, if this is even, even if it's doubly as good, it still won't be that great. I mean, I was quite happy that it was only going to be an hour. So that was that was nice. But I just wasn't looking forward to it. I really wasn't. So, you know, I'm, I was hoping that it was going to be better. And I do quite like trying to match up where it is in the timeline. And to your point, old man, and the fact that this is not long before Survivor Series 89 and trying to figure out, OK, so this would be the SummerSlam where Savage and Zeus faced Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake in the main event. Um, because Zeus is around at this point so quite like from that perspective I quite liked it um, because we would have watched those pay-per-views a number of times in the past but not seen I haven't seen those Saturday night's main events but yeah overall not not super psyched we are in Cincinnati Ohio for this Saturday night's main event and Vince says at the beginning of the show that this is the sixth season of Saturday night's main event He's joined by Jesse Ventura who appears to be dressed as Scott Steiner with a head a strange headdress on 
It's amazing. It's it's so good. He looks a bit like Rick James. Yes. It's ab- absolutely phenomenal bit of hair work. What I, what I do quickly want to say is after the, the montage, they, they do the opening credits for Saturday Night's Main Event, which I love because that music just gives me life. And um, there's all the footage of all the people in the card and having matches. And there's some lovely footage of uh, Rick Martel and Slick having a little dance, which is amazing. And I thought, old man's going to love that. What? He missed it. He missed it, I can tell. No, I saw it. Because Rick Martel then gets choked out. What a way to end a bloody dance. <laughs> I mean, he's just there. He's just here for a good time. He is. Uh, the old man is genuinely incensed by this. I just. Uh, I also, I also felt like, and this is not through any fault of this show in particular, but I was like, I've watched fucking loads of wrestling from Cincinnati recently because obviously all the last like all the last AEW tapings that have been on air at, at the time of recording for this have all been in Cincinnati. So I was like, I'm fucking sick of Cincinnati. Fuck off. Well, I tell you what, lads. Don't be sick of Cincinnati yet, because it's time for the Tyrant Faxton of the Week. So this is at the Riverboat Coliseum, which was the site of Elvis Presley's penultimate gig before he died on the shitter. Tyrant Faxton of the Week. That would have fitted so well in Harry Hill's TV program. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. <laughs> So impressed by that. So, yes, we have then a flashback to Randy Savage being crowned the new king of WWF after the genius performs a poem. I could have cried watching this. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I mean, we, we, we live in a country with a monarchy as well. I've, uh, seen, right, we I've, ne- I've never seen a coronation happen, but I've seen a, I've happened to have seen on television footage of when royal weddings happen and other things of that nature. There's nothing compared to this. You've got a lovely poem from the genius and what did i'll tell you what was going on in the poffo ha- household to give these two lads such weird voices because <laughs> obviously you've got you've got macho mans which is very interesting and peculiar but then you've got lanny poffo's weird and then da, 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 and that's how he actually talks and i don't know yeah. if he's always thought of that or he worked himself into a shoot but what a set of vocal cords these lads have got on them well then savage got... savage didn't always talk like it so i've seen recently some footage of savage from like 1980 and he is not talking the way he usually does. Um, well, he, do, he doesn't put that much like emphasis in, on his real life talking, but he's still got an incredibly deep, weird, gravelly voice, hasn't he? It wasn't that r- gravelly. It was quite normal, I thought. But is it, is yeah. it, is it more of, is it more of a, a slightly bumpy tarmac driveway <laughs> rather than a gravelly <laughs> driveway? Is that that's, what we're that, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You got you got Ted DiBiase there. You got Greg Valentine. You got Bossman Akeem, Slick, Dino Bravo, Barry Windham, maybe. Well, someone who looks like Barry Windham in the background. And more importantly, you got the Powers of Pain hanging around <laughs> it there as well. Lovely stuff. I was like, even though they're not on the card, they still snuck in, and that's why I love this era. I love I love it's so daft, but it's played so, like Macho Man. He's all in on it. And that makes it so much better because it is ridiculous. The fact that all these wrestlers are watching this wrestler get crowned the king of the WWE. And it's so deadpan and serious. And at the same time, absolutely ridiculous. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Just going more broadly about this. Do you think that's what's lacking from the king gimmick these days is maybe either the acts aren't going all in in on it or it's not being presented as kind of serious as this was and at the same time ludicrous but it but it's still everyone was playing it serious i guess is what i mean the last lad to take it properly seriously was obviously booker t mm. and he got a good few years out of that it did work he I, became I, world champion yeah and it shows what could be done and then you've had obviously king sheamus king corbin 
which they kind of tried to run with for a bit. King Barrett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That didn't really work. Did it? I mean, I do from what I've seen, I quite like Nakamura as the king. But again, he's not really going all in. He's just mucking about. Yeah, which he which he does. He does muck about, doesn't he, Nakamura? Um, <laughs> but this is this. I don't know. I'd, it's hard, isn't it? Because I, like like Owen Hart was a great king, but what made him such a great king is that he seemed so delusional because he were his kind of character and his heel character was the fact that he was inferior to his brother. So knowing that he was inferior to his brother and then went so over the top and really in on the king gimmick made it, it brilliant. I don't know. It's hard, isn't it? Because to be honest, I don't even know if it depends really on on how it's presented. I think it depends entirely on the on the wrestler. Because yeah. King Harley Race wasn't anything to write home about, was he? He was just the same. Just had a crown and wore a silly cape. King Haku, as much as I like Haku, wasn't really anything. King Duggan wasn't anything. You know what I mean? Like so, I think it depends. But you think about like the the best kings. You think I think of Booker T, Owen Hart, and Macho Man or Macho King. I can't think of anyone else that's particularly great in that role. And I think they make it their own. I think it feels like, I mean, I was just about to say something that then I realized I instantly dis, um, didn't believe in because I was going to say that I guess you, the, the individuals themselves have to go all in. But I don't think Owen Hart really went all in with it. It was just something that he added to his his, his overall pr- um, presentation. But Booker mm. T, for example, went all in even changed his voice yeah. to be yeah. the king so i feel like that's why it works so well is because he went all in on with it and yeah i don't know i, I just find it quite fa- i did find this fascinating watching this because i did feel like this is when you think about it this is ludicrous it's bonkers but it does work it does really work so i just was thinking about it whilst we were whilst i was watching it um but like again going all in though is is, is it goes into the pro the next interview which is when jesse interviews magic king not only is magic king all in and as is sherry but so is jesse as well and yeah. jesse's like seeing like i said at the beginning what do i call you do i call you your highness or the, your monarch or something like that and he corrects him and then match again is fully into it he says about how he's he's going to be having a match against snooker and he talks about how nobility should not mingle with the common people and stuff like that and it's just it's just absolutely brilliant and then like and he says and to prove that i you know i will um soil my hands with the commoner's blood to prove that i'm yeah. the king of the World wrestling federation and it's brilliant and and sensational sherry's all, all in on it there's the bit where like jesse is like may i may i kiss the queen's hand and he's like normally i wouldn't say so but as we're good friends you can and he kisses her hand and then <laughs> And he goes, long live the king. And Macho Man's like, again! And then long live it. And they do that three times. And then as they walk off, um, <laughs> Jesse Ventura's doing his little talk back to the camera. And there's this three tender bonks to the head from Macho Man's <laughs> Just happening very gingerly. It's so good. Oh, I was laughing like a dream. I was having a great time at this point. <laughs> I I can't I can't compete with what, without what Tommy's put against it. I loved it. I love this bit. And fair fucks those six lads carrying them out because old Shezza and Sav get carried down on this double throne, double yeah. throne side by side, and you think that's got to be heavy, and then they stand up and you realize there's cushions on there, extra heavy, extra comfort, lovely stuff, just great stuff. Yeah, and going back to that interview, I think it really. Well, and we've said this before, but it kind of it bears saying again, it hammers home for me the importance of having other people to play off of. So mm. obviously the penchant in wrestling, and there has been for like 20 years now, of people stood in the ring on their own talking to the crowd mm-hmm. and they've got no one to play off of. And it's just them and the crowd. And that's it. It's lacking so much. But Savage has got Sherry there. He's got Jesse Ventura interviewing him. 
and it just he can play off of them. He can do all kinds of different things in interacting with them that doesn't have to be super important to the story. Like when you got I don't know Triple H stood in the middle of the ring, he's got to say things that are important because otherwise he doesn't hold your interest because he's got he's not interacting with anybody else, just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be like if one of us did this podcast on our own we'd have to stay on topic throughout and make sure we just reviewed the show whereas because there's three of us we can go on these tangents and there's still something going on there's still a dynamic to it but with you know here i think it was just a really good example of how having someone else to play off of really plays into the hands of the performers and do so much with it and just have some fun well and furthermore at the moment when they do like backstage interviews and stuff like that i've i've said this about my gripes before they just ask one stupid answer or one stupid question sorry and the person who was being interviewed then does this long boring pre-written pre-rehearsed mm-hmm. monologue and then walks off and then the interviewer just stands there looking gormless and looking <laughs> a, a weird a weird kind of all frightened and i can't wait for this camera to turn off look at the general direction of, of the way the person's walked and it's rubbish yeah no that's that's very true you think, you think about think about the rock like the way the rock used to interact with like lillian garcia and kevin kelly and people like that just brilliant it's made it so much more entertaining you think like the gormless folks you think they would have learned from jr wouldn't you uh on clash of champions <laughs> 20 you go, we don't want any of that look at that bloody grin in that case they obviously saw it and loved it old man wow who didn't so before the first match of the night we also get gene oakland backstage with jimmy snooker jimmy snooker says he is his own man a free man yes and then that's the end of the promo i don't know what jimmy snooker is referring to here i can only imagine that he's just celebrating the fact that he's not in prison for the crimes that he's previously committed precisely so Randy Savage versus Jimmy Snooker is where we begin. The match goes for five and a half minutes and ends when Savage hits Snooker in the back with Sherry's purse and then rolls him up for the win. Tom, your thoughts on this match? As you said, it's only five minutes and 37. There's not too much to get excited about, but I did get excited about it. There's just a couple of bits in it that I really like. Obviously, Savage kind of starts with his trademark intensity until, uh, until Snooker gets the upper hand. Sensational Sherry lives up to her name in this she's actually queen sherry isn't she at this point but sensational queen sherry is phenomenal in this match she's an absolute menace constantly distracting snooker to try and help him get the upper hand which i really like jesse acknowledging by saying on commentary if you're going to face the king you've got to face the queen too which i thought was just a nice touch and that's basically kind of the story they can't really take much you know tell much of a story in five minutes but that that's the story of the match it is her constantly getting into the apron trying to get involved distracting the referee to try and help match a man it, it works for, for what it is there's a couple of interesting bits in it for first of all actually i wanted to talk about the entire the entire show in this point the crowd is so hot for this especially when snooker yeah. makes his comeback after a period of dominance from the match from matching man savage takes the rick flair turnbuckle bump much better than rick flair does the upside down one and lands in the tree of woe and actually gets yeah. his foot caught underneath. It's a tremendous bit of athleticism. And it's just it's just a, a fine little five-minute match. But I, I really enjoyed it because I love Macho Man uh, in the ring. Yeah, I thought it was fine. And, and like, like I said, the, the story of, of Queen Sherry kind of getting involved and, and managing to escape by the skin of her teeth from the savage that is Snooker worked in the story of the match did make me feel a little bit mm, at points because of knowing snookers or what he mm. what he is alleged to have what you proved to have done isn't it I, he wasn't he was on he was going to be on trial for it but then right. they got a continuance because of ill health yeah so the, the trial never happened and in the end he's died before he, he could died stand before, trial yeah. 
So with that in mind, they must have known that was happening. So having him go after a woman a lot in the match is probably a bit distasteful in hindsight. But it just about works, I think. But I quite enjoyed the match anyway, in and of itself. And I'm off to a good start because any any opening match involving the Macho Man is going to be it's going to be high praise for me. I enjoyed the uh, atomic drop by Macho Enough. Man, uh, uh, or by one of the cunts. And the other cunt goes outside the ring. They sail yes. through the middle rope. Lovely. Yeah, that's snooker two Macho Man. Macho yeah. Man flies up the rope. Beautiful ring. stuff. Uh, to your point, Tommy, Shez is fantastic in this. Just working her little heart out. So the handbag, it's a handbag, yeah? Yes. It's a handbag. <laughs> or a purse. Oh, oh. Or a purse. What? A pocketbook. Yeah, that's what he kept calling it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. And I was like, is that a kind of bag? It must be. I'm assuming. What would have been better if it had been, oh, no, he's got Sherry's Filofax. <laughs> and he's whacked a, whacked a snooker with it for the pin. I enjoyed this. I don't get snooker. I've never got snooker. Don't understand it. Don't get it at all, to be honest. His chops look crap. He's a massive man, and his chops look crap. And he's with Savage. Lay him in, lad. Well, not too hard. Might kill someone. But it was also very odd um, <laughs> uh, hearing, seeing someone chop someone and the crowd not instantly going, ooh. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed this. I thought this was great. The highlight of this match, and I was very caught off guard by this, was after the end, and they play old Snooker's music. Tell you what, right? He might have quit on that court case by dying. But what I did realise is that there's some saxophone in his music that does not quit. It was <laughs> sensational. Snooker's best work to date was his music and him stood at the end as Shazen uh, Savs have run off. He just looks like a drunk uncle at a wedding, just waiting for a dance, but no one's dancing with him. So, yeah, a couple of things on that. This match, first of all, yeah, it's a good match. It's, it's Randy Savage, Jimmy Snooker. They have a, it's fast paced. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's good. Two big stars the fans care about. Can't argue with it, really. This is obviously not long after Snooker had returned to the WWF. So he had been away from the WWF for about three, four years at this point. He hadn't been in the WWF. Um, and he'd come back and he'd, I think his first match may have even been at WrestleMania 5. And then, and so this was only a few months after that, well, six months maybe. And by this point, he was still kind of been quite protected following his returns. He'd mainly won matches and he'd been still being presented as a, a main guy. And I guess after this point, he would start to become a guy that would put the, the younger guys over. So, so his sort of career, this was almost like the point where his, I guess, the last big push for Snooker kind of ended and it was now going back down the card. In terms of what Snooker, Snooker, was about so i understand like if you're just looking at him from a purely you know wrestling aspect yeah i mean he's compared to a lot of people not great but again i think you have to look at it in the context of the early 80s and what was going on and the fact that this was in the wwf as well i think snooker was quite a it was an interesting case in the sense that he under vince mcmahon senior was a heel almost entirely for his time there and it it was quite a I think a sign of where Vince McMahon Jr. wanted to take the company was that Snooker was turned babyface because he kind of had a different, you know, it's a different presentation about him that almost could become quite sympathetic on screen, at least not off screen, certainly. Um, but that I, so he was kind of he stood out quite a lot for that perspective mm. because he he would he was a traditional sort of heel type character that Vince McMahon 
Jr. turned into a babyface and and became for a bit whilst Backlund was still champion in the later years probably the most popular person in WWF until Hogan showed up uh, the end of '83. So he was quite important at one point, but obviously again it's so it's hard when you compare then Snooker to even wrestlers of the time. You know when you talk about Savage and Hennig and people like that, yeah he maybe isn't as good, but there was something about him. He had an aura, yeah, and he was a superstar for for a while in the early '80s. So that's why he was that was the thing about him the crowd noise tom i think i said this the last time i'm dubbed it's dubbed over it's definitely dubbed Mm. over it and it just i did this is another reason that i find these shows difficult i don't like dubbed over crowd noise and and that's not surprising to anyone but i just find it's relentless like the the way they do it makes it sound like there's just this relentless noise but it, it jars so badly when you look at the crowd and then i just sat down it's not true. And so you even then the, the when the noise levels rise, you struggle to believe it and you struggle to believe in it. So I, I just I find it a really bad production choice. Next up, we get a recap of Zeus's introduction into WWE. And then they did. They could kind of glazed over this so i don't know if you guys can help me with this they then talk about him being dibiotti's insurance policy now originally zeus comes in as sort of helper for randy savage in his feud with hogan and i don't know how they've transitioned from savage to dibiotti as zeus's kind of association no he, i'm not sure to be perfectly honest the illusion in the interview is that he basically has just paid him but, i think that's that's right yeah yeah what's up with zeus's eyebrow why have they drawn that on him? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I was watching it because I, I ain't seen none of this shit with him, with old Susie Baby. And uh, I was like, who thought that makes someone look menacing? An unibrow. <laughs> that is weird. It is very odd. What I did, what I thought about this when we saw the footage, this is obviously the first real footage we see of Zeus on this show. So he's not very good. But we're honest, but he's an actor. Yeah. Tiny Zeus Lister. We've seen him in many roles. He's in The Dark Knight, for example. He is. Um, he, he's the real in the Dark Knight. He is. He is. Yeah. He saves the entire ship, doesn't he? He's still better than Omas. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, he's still better. He's still got more charisma than Omas. So there we go. You really are down on Omas, aren't you? You really it's don't fucking, like him. Fucking shit, that's why. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you who's better than Omas. El Gigante. He's better than fucking Omas. Oh my god. This is, is a man who could who could barely sell sitting down having someone handcuffed to him. <laughs> yes. Is there anyone that you would place below Omas? Yeah. I don't, how do you say his name? It's O M O S, but the American accent of the commentators make it sound like it's Omas. What's his actual name? <laughs> I, 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 I call him Omas, but that's that's because that's how it how it's pronounced, as you said, by the commentary team. I pronounce it shit. Is there anyone that would be below him? Um that's a good question. I, I really don't think so. He is dreadful. I mean the great the great Kali's was pretty bloody awful, but he drew money in India for them. So there was a purpose, there was a reason for him. I don't know what Omas brings brings to the crowd, other than making AJ Styles seem less good and important. Well, let me ask so, you a question, Tom. Omas or Ricky Steamboat? <laughs> oh. <sighs> let me answer that at the end of the show. Oh, I look forward to that. Oh, that's lovely. I think he's teasing those listeners. You get that tease in your ears, you little slags. <laughs> Jesse Ventura then interviews Ted DiBiase backstage. He says money will talk and Hogan will walk if he's able says he has the resources to get the job done and he's going for the world title of course against hogan 
Then Gene Oakland interviews Hulk Hogan. Uh, he says that Zeus should have taken the chance to put him down when he hit, no, put him out when he had him down. I've written it the other way around, and I remembered when I was watching this and writing it, I was like, I have to remember to say that the other way around, otherwise that will look stupid. And then he talks about investments and banks and bank rolls, and I just lost all interest, if I'm honest. Uh, I loved it. It made me laugh so much. He goes all in, doesn't he? For a start, at the beginning of it, he talks about going down on his Harley Davidson, which is yeah. a thing to do. And then he goes on about, he really goes in, and he's like, he goes on about majority stockholders investing in accent, calls God the big, the big <laughs> bank teller in the sky. <laughs> he really referred to the big dude upstairs who walks on water, and now the big bank teller in the sky. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. See, this is a classic case for me, where I don't enjoy it because it's really bad, until I talk talk to you. <laughs> and and the, just the delight and the enjoyment that you're getting from it and the humor you're finding in it is enough to to make it fun in my eyes but when i'm actually watching it i'm like oh come on mate it's because Rubbish. he thinks it's because he thinks he's being really clever yeah <laughs> that's what that's what it is he thinks he's like this is a genius multi-million dollar man he's got loads of money i'm gonna start talking about investment banking and shareholders and stock prices <laughs> do you reckon he was setting up early for the WrestleMania 9 tag match against Money Inc. He'd seen it in his eye. He was like, you know what? One day. years down the line, there's going to be a man called IRS. Michael Rotunda. I've heard he's good. I've heard he's the best. He should have heard of him because he stole his bloody entrance music. Yeah. So what's more nonsensical in these two promos? You've got Hogan going on about a big bank teller in the sky. (laughs) Or Zeus every now and then just going, (laughs) and then like every now the camera is like there's a dog barking next to Ted DiBiase and that's all he does does have a lovely Z shaped into his hair I think you'll find it's a Z oh man oh yeah sorry therefore uh, setting him up as Z gangster later on in WCW not Z gangster as we may have previously so fuck me how desperate were they for people who had been in WWF at that point (laughs) to get a fucking tiny Zeus Lister in because like I like the guy. He's he's passed away now. God, God rest yes. his soul. Um, but he, he was in. He played a lot of characters in films that I quite liked. But he's no wrestler, is he? And they're like, do you know what? We'll have some of him. We're gonna call him Z Gangster. Is, was he German? Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, you are Z Gangster, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't know which ones makes more sense, old man. Um, but there we go. It is next up, the WWF title match, Hulk Hogan versus Ted DiBiase. As we know, Zeus is in DiBiase's corner. This one ends when Zeus grabs Hogan from behind and DiBiase runs to give him a clothesline. But Hogan ducks and Zeus gets hit. Hogan then pins DiBiase with a small package. Old man. This is classic Hogan fare, isn't it? This is right out. You go into that drawer of Hogan. You open up the middle one which has got about 20 years of stuff in there, and you'll pick this out. It's classic fair because he does his little selling. Lovely old job. But he keeps... It was doing me head in, and luckily Ventura addresses it. He keeps running to the rope. Where's Zedus is? I don't understand why he's doing it. And I'm like, this is terrible, Hogan. Hang on, this hang on. Z- terrible. Z- Z- Zeduso, is he, is he the third brother? <laughs> no, he's... We're pronouncing it the British way from now on, I think. Oh, I see. Zedus. Yes. Please. <laughs> Classless individual. But, so, I, how long does this match go on for? It's about eight minutes. Yeah, about eight minutes. You are, in fairness, not a bad eight minutes. 
a bit confused when uh, Jake Roberts comes down, Virgil appears, and then they disappear. So I was like, cool, that's, so, so that's happened then. I was like, all right, no worries, lads. And then obviously, as you said, Tinky, the end happens. Up to that point, it's, it's standard Hogan fair. It's that classic Hogan crap stuff, but with Ted DiBiase, who just becomes more and more lion-like as the match goes on, <laughs> as his hair gets bigger. Ted DiBiase could have had a good match with an empty ring, I think, in particular at this point. It's all right. I, the one thing about this is that, and I know that we're talking about piped in crowd noise, when Zeus and Hogan front up after the match, the crowd are electric. When uh, Dibiasi comes in and he clubs Hogan from behind, like quite, uh, for some reason, the bell rings. It just goes, ding, ding, ding. That's it. They don't keep ringing it like they do when they when like all this shit's going down. I was like, what's going on here? And, uh, <laughs> and then Dave Hevner gets lobbed out the ring by Dibiasi, like proper <laughs> lob down. And then, uh, and then poor Damien gets pulled down by Bloody, well, I always called him Jake Savage then. <laughs> by Jake, Jake, <laughs> by well, he, Jake. He brought him down before and Virgil stole him, didn't he? Yeah, and then he comes back down with him. Evidently, he's disposed of Virgil. But all I could think was, like, we've talked about Damien, old Damo on here, and how he gets poorly treated. And I thought, you know what, there's a deeper thing to this. Poor little Damien just wants to make friends. But he keeps getting used... That's the fear factor. Everyone's scared of Damien. Everyone's scared of Damien. Just wants to make friends, be respected. It's not too much to ask, is it? <laughs> so just to, yeah, just to fill in the gaps a little bit there before I come to you, Tom. So as you rightly said. Hey, hang Jake... on, hang on. That, that was perfectly coherent. There were no gaps. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Absol- unique ramblings of a bold man. <laughs> All right. Just to absolutely hit home. From old man's absolutely crystal clear explanation of everything that went on. Um, halfway through the match, Jake Roberts walks to the ring to apparently to neutralize the presence of Zeus, who's at ringside. Virgil then runs in, grabs the, the bag that Damien is in and runs away. So Jake Roberts therefore has to run after Virgil to go get Damien. That's why he's then no longer there by the end of the match. But as as you said, by the end of the bit where Dibiase and Hogan are attacking him uh, sorry when Dibiase and Zeus are attacking Hogan uh, Jake Roberts runs back down evidently having got back the snake from from Virgil somehow I would have liked to see what happened in the back between Jake Roberts and Virgil to be honest I think Jake Roberts had a big old jar of meat sauce <laughs> and old Virgil was all over it I, I reckon he's went please Virgil please give me back my snake and he went, and he went oh, all right then, mate, go on. Yeah, really sheepishly go back to him like Hogan at WrestleMania 18, put his hand up. Mm, sorry. No, that, that would have been that would have been a similar feel to the um, thing between Brad Armstrong and Brian Pillman at Clash of Champions 20. <laughs> oh, it, was, yeah. it was really reasonable. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Do you know what? I don't know why I did it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I don't but, know why I took that snake. Practical joke went wrong. Yeah, what can I yeah. say? Just yeah, we're right hazing, time. yeah, we're hazing you. We're, we're hazing you, Jake. Oh. Oh, you've DDT'd me. Oh, um, <laughs> so what was this, your thoughts for the match, Tom? Like old man said, standard Hogan fair. I mean, Ted DiBiase is an absolute bump machine. And it's one of those things where I can think, because he, again, because he was so good as the character uh, of the Million Dollar Man, you forget almost how good he was in the ring as well. I mean, I, 
I really should go back and watch some of his stuff in like mid south and and stuff like that because he's a great in ring mechanic and I was watching uh watching an episode of um the Broken Skull sessions the other day I think it was with Ric Flair and they were talking about Ted DiBiase and they're like Ted DiBiase is a great worker he never had to really do any work in the WWF because his character work was so good he didn't really need to and I it runs true in in this match he doesn't really do much but what he does do is brilliant and yeah Hogan's Hogan's Hogan you know what is weird is that um Hogan takes a clothesline over the top rope which I don't really recall seeing very often. Andy wins with a small package. Again, equally unusual, unusual kind of end to a Hogan match. But yeah, it was it was it was fine for what it was. I mean, he said it's eight minutes. It's, it's it is the main event. This is what this is the entire you know was so built around. I know it's not the last match of man, but it is the main no, event. No, no. Um, and it was just it was quite good. I, I quite enjoyed it. And as I said, I'm going to enjoy anything from this era. <laughs> you know, it's impossible for me to. You wait till I get on to the last match, boys. You know, it, it's just, yeah, just it was perfectly enjoyable fair. And it's not, the entire event is only an hour long. Nothing's going to really outstay its welcome, I don't think. So I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I thought this was a good match, actually. And I would, the only thing that disappointed me was there was an advert break in the middle of it. If there hadn't been an advert break, I might be tempted to say this is one of the best Saturday night's main event matches I've ever seen because it was really quite decent. It was really enjoyable. Uh, it, as I said, though, the advert break just really broke it up in the middle. It meant that even though this match did last eight minutes, we probably saw maybe five minutes of it. So you're not really seeing enough to get your teeth into. But it, what we saw was, was, was really decent. I thought what was interesting here as well, like we, we you, to your point about this being the main event and to old man, you saying that we know that that's going to come in the middle of the show rather than at the end. Mm. It kind of struck me a little bit like, do we think AEW are employing these same tactics at the moment with some of their shows? Because we often see they basically put the most important match either at the end or the first match on, especially on Rampage, which begins at 10 o'clock at night in America. They put the most important match on first i guess because why wouldn't you it's not like you know it's only an hour long the main event is a convention that doesn't necessarily need to be the last match on Mm. television i think on a live show and you've got three hours and you've got a big crowd that makes sense to have the last match be the most important because you want to keep people's interest and attention but when it's like a one hour tv show does it matter? Like you want to get the best TV rating ultimately. And I'm assuming the earlier in the show you do it, the more likely that's going to happen. Yeah. I, I've noticed that from, from watching a bit more AEW recently, they tend to have a big match up front. And I wonder if that's, I wonder if it almost works in, in reverse. You're like, do you know what? That was absolutely banging. I wonder what else is going to happen as well. Not just from a TV rating perspective, but I wonder if it's more likely to, to catch your, you know, your peak, your interest at, at that point. Um, yeah, because they, I've noticed that quite a bit recently, and, and I think it's quite a good tact, if I'm being honest. And let's be honest, anything that isn't a rambling 20-minute promo from some dickhead at the beginning is going to be good, <laughs> and that's going to that's gonna make me want to watch it more. What if what? they started all their shows like they started this, with like seven or eight people chatting very quickly about what they're going to see later on? If they're in front of their own logo, then <laughs> I'm all in. I, the, the, one thing, the thing I will say as well about this, and this is kind of going off track, off a piece a little bit, but I love that like, they tell you at least one or two, maybe even three matches that are going to happen at the next show on AEW. Yeah. I love that because it means you don't have to have that bullshit reason for a match to happen in that show at the beginning of the show. 
I really yeah. I, that's something they do really well, and and it means um, just for me as as a fan of wrestling who's watched it pretty much well almost all of my life, that that it makes you feel like no, they actually have planned this out. They're not just booking it week by week on the fly. Yeah, no, definitely. The thing that you're saying about this show, get back mm. to this show, like loading the main event in the middle. Like as much as I joked when we covered it, and um, it was Akeem and someone else, I think, in the main event. There's not a whole lot to come here, and I'm a big Tito Santana and Rick Martel fan, so I I'd I'd have been for that. But you also know that you've got the bloody lovely Bushwhackers versus the Rougeos, <laughs> and you've got I think to this point what was on the um on the network 20 minutes left. In America, with the breaks and that, you're probably looking at 35 minutes. Mm. I'm not sticking around for that. I'm tugging off and going to sleep. <laughs> well, before we go any further, old man, would you like me to tell you who was in that previous match that you kept calling the main event? Yes. Because I can't re- can't believe that you didn't remember. Oh, no, it was <laughs> Kenneth. Yeah. This, this has happened twice, boys. As I forgot I him in the Intercontinental Championship, the game. I fucking failed him. You He's on me Mount Rushmore. I don't think you can tell anyone else to remember him anymore, mate. You, you've got to work on it yourself first. Yeah, it must be, I must remember. Yeah. I, 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 I swear that I will remember. Do as I say, not as I do. Yes. Because okay. when I fight, I fight. Uh, I was going to break into the Kempaterra promo then, but I can't remember it. Fucking <laughs> okay, hell. You and not remembering Kempaterra yeah. stuff is getting well, a little bit Tommy ironic. Do that promo so many times after a couple of beers, you think I remember it. You on, beat Tommy. me like a red-haired stepchild. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Ken. Then we get a video package documenting Roddy Piper's problems with the Heenan family, including a brother love, brother love segment where... Uh, Rick Rude beats him down. Can I just interject? Of course you can. Rick Rude throws mouthwash <laughs> into Roddy Piper's eyes. Oh, yeah. And I was like, mouthwash. And then the commentators are like, oh, the alcohol is burning. I, like, I bet it's bloody horrible getting mouthwash thrown in your eyes. Why <laughs> mouthwash? Because it's bloody who's horrible. Because it's bloody horrible. Well, Rick Rude is because he's like such a lovely, you know, he's uh, such a fountain of beefcakeness i don't know if that's a word i'm just like you know you know he's a listerine guy yeah <laughs> and, and he, he needs and he needs it because he's just about to you know take a swig of that get his breath nice and because of his hair at the time he's gone off to shag someone's wife <laughs> well that listerine as well is the worst i mean if you get that in your yeah. eyes you're really in trouble it's bad oh, enough like, in your mouth that's that yeah it is his <laughs> agony that fucking shit jesus imagine god imagine having that on your cock oh, it'd be agony. <laughs> <laughs> dangling your bell end just in into the bottle and then it gets stuck and then someone yeah. comes on and they're fucking shaking it up and they're like, ah! <laughs> and the only way the only way to get it out is to put a small incision in your knot so you feel <laughs> the burn i know yeah, what a horrible situation to be in <laughs> and, someone, and someone's like the only way I, you, I can get the bottle off but you gotta drink it <laughs> you're like oh no i'm gonna smelly dick and Dick and mint mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Not dick and mint mouth. Not again. <laughs> I can't go home to me mum smelling like this again. <laughs> Rick, Rick Roots just shagged her. I can't go. <laughs> she 
he's just left. Oh, fuck. I don't give a fuck what your breath smells like. Oh, oh Rick's just left. <laughs> just, just my poor dad in the corner. Just go, oh, well. Rick's just <laughs> <out> again. <laughs> Oh, dick and mint mouth. <laughs> like, you know, I was just thinking of like foot and mouth. <laughs> it's like an alternative to it. <laughs> okay. Just piles of burning dicks. Just like when they killed that <laughs> and there was foot and mouth going around. That's it. That's, that's, uh, yeah. Okay. So then Jesse Ventura in for, uh, introduces Bobby Heenan. And I have no notes for this in, this interview because this wasn't actually their fault. I just got to the point where I was like, I'm, this is the other problem I have with Saturday Night's Made Event. Mm. I'm trying to take too many notes. And I, I have to because we've got to cover the show. But I, was like, I, can't, I just can't. I, I'm too far behind. <laughs> I'm already massively summarizing what Piper said. So, uh, oh, no, what happened with Piper? Sorry. So, yeah, um, I don't know if you've got any notes on this. Only the Haku's voice is even gravelier than Harley Races. <laughs> Ridiculous. So I have a note about this. Well, the promo is terrible by Enan. Really bad. They keep going on about having fun. They're going to have fun. They're going to have fun. It don't make any sense. But then I thought, you know what? Haku, quite like Haku. Piper, don't like Piper. What if they did just have fun? What if they just played a few games? They'd be better. It'd be bad because Piper's the shits. <laughs> Don't like Piper. Well, I was going to say, if we wanted um, a good promo, then he's up next because Gene Oakland interviews Piper. I, again, have written no notes except for the words largely nonsensical. But he goes, he goes, have you got a problem with the Heenan family? And he goes, well, there was an Adams family. Yeah. <laughs> and mean Gene looks like he doesn't know what's going on. And then he just waffles on about weasels and about fixing them. And then it's a bit potentially a bit mildly racist against Haku. Yes. I think around it, Piper basically goes, <laughs> that's basically what he does. And I was like, fuck off, Piper. He has got a unique style, which I don't get on with. I have to be honest. I don't, I struggle with his premise. I don't know if he is shit. And he definitely is different. And I think he probably was, Again, if comparing for the time, I think he probably was quite engaging. I just personally struggle with the style that he has. The thing uh, is, at this stage, at this stage in his career, he, he has got a legendary status amongst the fans because of all his works on. But because WWE or WF, sorry, never acknowledge it, and he is presented not necessarily as having this legendary status, the reaction that he gets from the crowds and from everyone else versus the actual work that he puts in doesn't match up. And I think that's why I never got it because growing up a WWF guy who don't ever mention any other promotions or anything else anyone's done. It always surprised me why he always got the reactions that he did. I, I, kind of feel a little bit different to that i feel like he does get presented like a legend by wwf all the time like every time i was and again maybe this is because when i watched it 1994 he wasn't really even wrestling anymore mm. so when he came back it was like oh it's the legend roddy piper but i always saw him as a really really big deal i think and also, also don't forget that he was a massive part of the first wrestlemania and you know that the first couple of years of, of WrestleMania, so and Saturday Night's main event. So I think probably in the 
television audience and in the wrestling audience in the main. They probably did see him as a superstar because of his WWF stuff as much as anything else. But it's an interesting point because I, I had never considered it before. I just despise his promos. And because of that, I don't like him. And I didn't like him when I was a kid. I don't think he's particularly good in the ring either. He's not very exciting to watch. He's very workmanlike. And it's like, uh, maybe we'll get on to how the next match finishes shortly. But yeah, I never got it. Fair play to him. The crowd fucking love him. Yeah, they do. Why don't we take a little break there? Because, you know, this is a short show. We've only got three matches left to cover. And uh, we'll come back in just a moment. What a beautiful coronation. Like, Finally, yeah. it sent chills down my spine. We have a king and queen we can be proud of. Macho King, what do you want me to call you now? Well, you can call me anything with respect. Other people would be your highness, but you are a personal friend of mine, so just call me Macho King and that'll be hip. Well, Macho King, I'm your faithful friend, but I'm also a journalist. So I must ask you the question, why risk your royal neck against the Lord? Born but always dangerous superfly Jimmy Snuka. Ooh, Jesse, it's true that nobility should not mingle with the common people. But I, Randy Savage, the Macho King, am on a quest. A quest to prove that I am worthy of being the greatest king in the World Wrestling Federation ever. And if I have to soil my hands with the commoner's blood, even when someone as common as Snuka to prove it, I will. And I will succeed. Ooh, yeah, the kingdom of the madness will rule the World Wrestling Federation forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Long live the king. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Well spoken, Queen Sherry. Might I kiss your royal hand? You must ask the Macho King. Macho King, would it be all right? Certainly, Jesse, the Macho King is generous to the faithful. I thank you both, your royal highnesses, and wish you well on your noble quest. Long live the king! Again! Long live the king! One more time! Long live the king of the World Wrestling Federation! I like it! Come, my queen! The humble masses await their king! Ooh, yeah. That way! The royalty is heading to the ring! And you better do it right, McMahon! Okay then, welcome back. So, as I said before the break, we've got three matches left and plenty of promos. I just was also thinking another reason why they put... Hulk Hogan on early, I think, so they can get three segments out of him per show. So he's obviously got the pre-match segment, he's got the match itself, and then late, quite late in the show, they also bring him back. So that's a way to keep the audience watching is, oh, you've got more Hogan later on. And it just feels like that's why they do it. Because you couldn't really have two pre-match promos and then, you know, and then do it again. I bet they could give a bloody good fist of it though. <laughs> Probably could, yeah. And he does appear in the opening montage as well. So actually, you get four yeah. appearances from Hogan over the course of the night. The well, well, they used to call him Four Segment Hogs back in the day, didn't they? <laughs> four Segment Hogs. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, and he always had a shirt off, so she, he was showing quite a lot of skin. So you quite often called him Four Skin Hogs. No. <laughs> <laughs> Four. Ah, lovely, lovely greasy bellend lovely minty bellend <laughs> so, some of them in behind his back called him four hairs hoags that's what they <laughs> oh, so next up is roddy piper versus haku a match that lasts just three minutes and ends when roddy piper uh sorry when haku misses a flying headbutt then piper hits a flapjack and a belly to belly suplex for the pin 
Um, strange finish. I didn't expect this from Piper. Old man, your thoughts on the match? I didn't think it was very good. And the main note I've got is what a bloody waste of Haku, or at least how it's shown on TV, to have him lose to a belly-to-belly suplex. So Haku headbutts Piper a couple of times. And that's kind of it, from what I remember. It's not... Oh, it's three minutes. What are you going to do? They're not going to be able to work an absolute clinic. We've had this before, and we'll have it again. And I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, like the meanie. It's not Mark Henry and Viscera. <laughs> and it's never going to be. So if you want a three-minute match, you've got to cut a minute or add a minute. Because otherwise, it's always going to be compared to that. Um, this did nothing to change my opinion of Roddy Piper. did nothing to change my opinion of Haku. You know, I quite like Haku. Don't like Piper. Still the same. Wait, you don't like Piper? No. Okay. Contrary to what you've been saying previously, but oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I hate him! It's a three-minute match. Like There's nothing really to talk about or analyse. The belly-to-belly suplex is weird. It's one of the worst belly-to-belly suplexes I think I can remember seeing, <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest. Um, and it's a bit of an underwhelming way to, to beat um, to beat Haku. Um, Piper does make great noises in the match, which is not something I'd ever noticed before. So, I, you know, that was something that that is something to, to, to come from it. Mm. Um, I kind of like the idea of it being kind of Piper versus the Heenan family as such. Mm. And they kind of did it before with Hogan, didn't they? That was what a lot of the early kind of Hogan feuds kind of were. So it was obviously this is number one of the Heenan family in Haku. They're referencing um, Rick Rude a lot next. Potentially as his next opponent, obviously as as the pre-match kind of stuff showed, that was that was where the feud kind of started. But I don't feel like there is enough involvement from Bobby Heenan in the match. You know, they don't really. He's at ringside, and we know what great work Bobby Heenan can do at ringside. There isn't really any involvement from Minute, considering that the feud is about him effectively. So I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. Fine is what it is. Things are as they are. I am who I am, <laughs> and when I rest, I rest with reason. <laughs> that is a that is a really bad Chris Benoit promo from Starcade 97 which hopefully we'll cover one day because I can't wait to talk about it okay um yeah I this is three minutes match I mean what can you what can you do in three minutes it's fine it's not gonna change anyone's opinion as it did with your man although I'm pretty sure you used to say you loved him and now you don't you saying you hate him so obviously it did it change your mind but um Hang on a minute I've always hated Piper I was bloody ranting mm, about Piper uh, I'm not sure mate I, I'm pretty sure you said you loved him so uh <laughs> the and and that you hate Val Venus and never rated him oh, yeah, oh, yeah, totally, totally. Oh, they're gaslighting me <laughs> no we're the... not you're gaslighting yourself <laughs> oh that's horrible yeah I don't, I don't have a lot to say about it it's fine it's just yeah three the minutes the thing is is like we've all said haven't we like it's a three minute match what can you do but we know what can be done Mark Henry of Viscera <laughs> and it's true like I know we keep banging on about it but that's how you do it admittedly they were never going to have Mae Young running down pregnant Mae Young but they're all, they also neither of them can do a a, a spinning heel kick like Viscera. Let's not forget oh, that. Very few can, mate. Very exactly. few can. Exactly. So next, after this match, we get another Ted DiBiase and Zeus promo. They talk to Gene Oakland. DiBiase says he's sick of Jake Roberts and guarantees he will put Roberts out next time. Zeus says something then about uh, about Thanksgiving, which is obviously building to the Survivor Series match, which will include Zeus, DiBiase on one side of the ring and Hogan and Jake Roberts on the other, with other people involved as well. I think Any... Zeus shouts again. Well, ah! 
okay. Actually, do you have any notes about this? I must have completely missed it. No, I, I, I do have notes, but it basically it just says what it is. What I do like, though, what has come out of this, that old man's got another impression to add to his yeah. repertoire. I'll tell you what, it's racking up. We've got Neville, we've got Sting, and now we've got Zeus. We have indeed. Two of those are really just noises, but I'm happy with that. Hey, everything is just a noise, Tinky. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness me, that is very true. The philosopher in yourself came out. It was prophetic, isn't it? Yeah. It was pathetic. (laughs) So. (laughs) Cheap dig from Chief Gaslighter. So. Uh, next up, Rick Martel is interviewed by Gene Oakland. Martel says he carried Santana in Strike Force, and Slick tells Oakland to not put doubt in Martel's mind. Oh man, I imagine you're really happy to see Rick Martel. I was delighted. Rick Martel and Slick finally some fucking class on this bloody shit house of a show. Great stuff. Great stuff. Although he let me down. Oh, Slick Rick, let me down. He makes a refried bean comment about Tito Santana, Did. which I was very, very disappointed by, I must say. And I can't wash over it. As much as I love Rick Martel, we've given people a lot of stick for stuff like that. So I have to say, Rick, you let yourself down. You let Slick down. But most of all, you let Tito down. He's a good man, possibly. Still wrestling, Tito Santana. Well, also, I don't know if you saw this, but I shared on Twitter earlier today uh, a news report which included a video of a match that took place last week and as we're recording this it will now be about two weeks after this jerry lawler versus scott steiner oh my beautiful (laughs) see that that kid is why you should not use twitter (laughs) exposed to that yeah Yeah, no that's fair Um, unless it was a naked mud wrestle no for afraid not it was just a match in the ring pathetic rick martel is sweating profusely no wonder he's taken off his sweater and tied it around his neck. Because if he was wearing that before, I no wonder, well, no wonder he was so hot because it looks like a thick garment. I echo old man's sentiment regarding the old refried bean thing. It's not, it's not the best, but it does kind of get slightly redeemed by this incredible laugh that Slick does afterwards when he says about we've got our we've got our something up our sleeve or some kind of sneaky little slick thing, uh, and he makes an amazing little laugh. So it does kind of make it better. So that I enjoyed. Also, Rick Martel does uh, do some incredible dancing in the ring to Jive Soul Rose. It's tough, it's tough because I think little horrible racist comments still fall above some great dancing. Martel and Slick then come to the ring and they have with them the Twin Towers and the Honky Tonk Man as they come to the ring. Then we get Tito Santana in a backstage interview with Gene Oakland. Didn't know anything down, although I believe that Tito says something like, you know, I can respond in kind or something like that in terms of Rick Martel coming down with this entourage of people. And that and is... Then, and, then, and then he goes, Hariba! Yes. And then Tito does come down to the ring. He calls down the Red Rooster, Brutus Beefcake, and Dusty Rhodes to join him. I could almost not contain my excitement at this point <laughs> if i'm being honest is this I, because of was, the links to survivor series 89 and just just i was like i i was kind of expecting something like this to happen and then obviously he managed uh he being slick obviously managed the twin towers and so i kind of thought they might be down there with them as well and then obviously when i saw well jimmy hart and honky i was like hello i recognize these four lads I, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this a lot. And I was like, I wonder if. No, they couldn't. They couldn't. They wouldn't. 
And then old uh, Tito comes down, starts. Oh, before this, actually, sorry. As Rick Martel's coming down, um, there's a great bit of commentary from Jesse where he says, <laughs> to be fair, his dancing has got incredible since he's been with the Slickster, which is a lovely bit of commentary about Rick Martel. And then when Tito gets on that second turnbuckle and waves in, I'm like, hello. Brings out Red Rooster. Because I'll be honest, I couldn't really remember too much about Steve. He brings out the Red, Red Rooster. And I was like, uh, okay fine whatever then brutus beefcake comes out and i fucking pop massively for brutus beefcake of all people <laughs> i was like oh my god this is incredible i wonder if they're gonna bring out dusty next because i remember dusty's the captain so i can always remember the picture of him wearing boss man's hat then dusty Rhodes comes out minces down but down to the ring with the with the hat on and boss man is absolutely fuming <laughs> he's absolutely outraged that he comes down i was oh, i was in heaven at this point i was having the time of my life a, a quick mention because i can't let it pass tito santana's music is fantastic mm. it is so good if that came on so for uh for the listener would have happened a couple of weeks ago but we're, we're not just podcast friends we're friends in real life so we're, we're we're having a couple of beers on the following saturday that we're recording this if that comes on and we're in a pub okay on the table i reckon <laughs> after a couple of pints but, sensational but there's not only that then there's brutus beefcakes music yes. which is amazing I love and then music. and then we get american dream it's oh, a trio i mean i can't even remember recently don't give, give a fuck about that prick but these other three their music's just oh just amazing amazing how did, how, how did jive bunny not do a a, a kind of medley of those? <laughs> come on everybody come on everybody go on jive bunny it's like they're here in the room unbelievable magnificent hey, it was one bunny sorry well, it probably was one guy, I expect, just fucking putting a load of shit together. Anyway, moving on. Rick Martel versus Tito Santana is a nine-minute match. In fact, it's nearly ten minutes. The end goes, Martel's in control. He gets the Boston Crab on Santana, only for Santana to get to the rope. Um, Martel then goes to the top, but Santana shakes the rope, crotching Martel on top of it. Santana then goes after Slick, and all the wrestlers then jump into the ring, leading to a no contest with a big old brawl. Tom, your thoughts on this? Um, so the match in itself is actually really quite good. They kind of tie into the drama of having all of the people outside the ring. I like the fact that um, Jesse Ventura is not quite sure what's going to happen because he says, oh, all of a sudden, well, we've got a lumberjack match now, have we? And then halfway through the match, when it looks like it's all about to boil over, he's like, oh, is this going to turn over into a, into a tag match? And I quite kind of like that, kind of keeping you on your feet sort of thing. It's this pretty, pretty damn good action from two very good mid-card talents. Tito is 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 really kind of fired up and playing like the ultimate kind of baby face character and sympathetic at times where he's getting beaten up and his selling's really good. And Rick Martel is playing the kind of cowardly chicken shit heel, but like but with a massive like level of arrogance, no pun intended, um, to perfection, right. which I think is really really impressive considering that this is the first time in his entire career he's ever been a heel. And how good he is at it is is really really impressive. The old Red Rooster, as much as I kind of dismissed the murder still an hell of a shift banging the old uh ring apron constantly mm. he's having the t- time of his life he's banging <laughs> it he's banging it like rick rude with someone's mum it's tremendous <laughs> is is this the, the the most impressive contribution red rooster made to the wwf no there's a bit in their match at survivor series where he comes into the ring and just does his little like peck that's my favorite red rooster <laughs> moment of all time <laughs> 
Martel gets crotched on the top rope, and then you see the, the look on Honky Tonk Man's face. It's tremendous because he, he's like, in the ring, and, and he turns around and he looks kind of in the direction of the camera, and he's like, "Fuck, you know, I look like a it's tremendous God, Honky." And yeah, the match kind of ends with a new contest where everyone gets stuck in, and, and I just really liked it. And again, it made me it made me want to watch Survivor Series '89. Which is the purpose of this of this you know this show? Now it happens to be that Survivor Series '89 is one of my favourite pay per views, <laughs> um, so I, I always quite want to watch it anyway. Um, but no, I just I yeah I, I really enjoyed this match and I really enjoyed all of the shenanigans outside as well. Oh man, this is just really good. Like this is just two lads who know each other, and then you've got all of the menace. The intrigue of the people trying to get involved from the outside is just really well done. It did make me think, though, why did they split Ricky and Tito up? I always liked a bit of strike force. And I think uh, a bit like Paris of Pain with Tommy. It's just two guys that he likes. Admittedly, I'm not as high on strike force as Tommy is on Paris of Pain. <laughs> but I always liked them. I've really liked both of them. I think they're really good. And they just have a lovely... This is the best match of the night. By a fair distance, I think. Because of everything that Tom has beautifully put, you've got the stuff going on outside, but you've also got two guys putting on a very decent shift. And then at the end, I'm having a great time. Could it get any better? It bloody can. They play Tito Santana's music again. <laughs> ah. In fairness, old man, who who could be as high on anything as Tom is on the powers of pain? Yeah, that is true. The the thing with the strike force splitting. So I have no idea why they did it. I guess they got some value out of it. Rick Martel had a couple of memorable yeah. feuds. We spoke about Jake Roberts, obviously, at WrestleMania 7. But it is something that they do, the WWE, mm. and always have done. They still do it today, where they just break up tag teams for nothing, for no purpose at all. This year, for example, they broke up Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. What the fuck are they doing now? Nothing. It just doesn't make sense. You're not If you're not intending to strap the rocket to one of them and make them into something that's a really important act, don't do it. Like just don't do it. Just keep it keep them as a tag team. You have a use for them if they're a tag team. If you break them up, you no longer have a use for them and they become pointless. I'm sorry, man. I think you're uh, you're forgetting all the Darren Young and Titus O'Neill's tremendous single reigns that they had after yeah. the primetime players were split up. <laughs> <laughs> and then reunited and then split up. Okay. Yeah. It's that that's the worst one. That is genuinely the worst one because they split them up, did nothing with them put them back together and split them up again. That is the worst one. I You you may have heard me talk about this feud before, not so much for the feud itself, but for the fact that this was always the thing that I, this is why I started to really love wrestling mm. because I started watching in 94. So obviously a long time after this feud, but they reference it. In the Royal Rumble 94, they reference because Tito Santana, I think, or Rick Martel, one of the two, comes down and attacks the other. It might not even be in that Royal Rumble, actually. It might be in the previous Rumble. But wh- whenever it is, they, they come down, they attack. It's way after the feud. The feud's gone. It was four years prior to it. But they're still referencing it. They're still talking about the fact these two used to be partners and they would still go after each other the same way as Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty would still go after each other in the Rumble you know, months and months after their feud had ended. And I just... That really captured my imagination about what wrestling can be. This kind of long term, have this memory of what's happened in the past. And even though they aren't feuding like officially at that that point so much later, there is still that sense of just hatred between the two. Because why wouldn't there be? He turned on him. So it really that's one of the things I think that helped get me into wrestling, which is this idea that 
things happened years before and mattered. And that's still what I come back to. If a wrestling show does that today, where they reference things from the past, where they make you feel like it was valuable to have watched that thing in the past, that's when I really enjoy watching wrestling. So I have a lot of time for this feud. This must be, though, I guess, the most high-profile singles match between the two after their feud. They don't wrestle each other on a pay-per-view at any point. I mean, they may have done it on TV, I guess, on like Wrestling Challenge or, or something during primetime wrestling or something. But, you know, obviously this is Saturday night's main event, so it's maybe a little bit higher profile than that would have been. And it's good. It's a good match. Again, though, just a little disappointed that there's an advert break in the middle of it because we only really see six minutes of it because they cut three minutes for the advert. So What I shame. will say, though, about that advert break, I appreciate that it takes away some of the match because you don't get a chance to really um, yeah, actually see what's going on. But what I did quite like about it is that it felt that there was a logical pause point because they're kind of saying what's going to happen now what will happen next you know and then it cuts back to the actual match and i really liked and it's a bit of a weird thing but i really like the kind of long kind of camera like the zoomed out you know shot of the ring with everyone kind of stood around it it's quite a good image i thought mm. but i understand what you mean about that that you know there being a match and not actually being able to see all of the action that took place well, I do agree with you. They do it. They handle it well here because, as you say, they have a sort of the match almost break down as everyone looks like they're going to get involved. Then they go to break them and they come back. They're now wrestling again. But it is just simply because we aren't able to have on this match, on the show, a match that is uninterrupted and good at the same time. We, we yeah. get some that are uninterrupted, but are no good. And we get some that two matches on here that are actually the body of what we see is good, but we're just mm. missing the middle section, which is just a real shame. And for matches that go, you know, if they were 15 minutes, mm. then I wouldn't mind the break too much, but they're sort of, they're a third of the match. It's just a, it's not great. After this, we get Piper interviewed by Gene Oakland. And again, it's all a bit crazy. Again, I've got no comments to exactly what he said. You know what? Right, fair fucks to old Pips, because uh, this actually makes a little bit of sense because he calls Albert Rude and the rest of the Hina family. There is a lot of <laughs> around it. But... <laughs> Tell you what, you got your fourth there, old man. <laughs> yeah. But the um the body that you were missing from the match is here in the promo, and you know what? Still not very good, but better. So what you're saying is having come into the show loving Roddy Piper and then briefly hating him, you now love him again. Uh, love is a strong word. Piper <laughs> for president. <laughs> what do you mean he's dead? No, he can't, he can't be president because he's Canadian, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Fuck off, he's Scottish. Pi- Piper <laughs> for oh, Prime Minister. <laughs> um, I um, Prime Minister. Clearly made before. Uh, the show aired before the match because there's not an ounce of sweat on him. <laughs> He's just wearing the exact same stuff that he was wearing before. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that. That was the only thing I did notice. It's disappointing though, isn't it? Because it's a very simple thing and it's not like they haven't got time. The show's recorded, I think it's three weeks before it airs. They had time after the match to have a little chat with him. I don't know what Gene was doing, but he probably wasn't busy enough. Maybe he was doing his air. Well, I imagine all of this stuff was either pre or or post recorded all the stuff that's not in the arena um obviously when you see the shot of vince and jesse they are in front of a green screen with a with a crowd on it as well it's not actually there behind them so they're obviously recording all of this stuff is that either before or after the show i imagine after to be honest because it's probably safer to do it after but I guess you probably wouldn't notice it if you were watching it on TV. We, we're, we're probably being over kind of analytical about that particular part. Hang of it. on. If there's one thing we're not, it's over analytical. <laughs> 
Well, we're very analytical, just we do it in a slightly different way to most other people, I would suggest. The main event is up next. Not really. The last match on the show is the Rouge against the Bushwhackers. Three minutes in length. And it ends when the Rougeos get control on Butch, but Luke gets the hot tag. Jacques is then hit with a battering ram and they double backbreaker him before getting the pin. Strange final move. Yeah, there's also a pre-match promo with the Bushwhackers where they say bloody lovely a couple of times, then lick uh, Mean Gene. And he says, not on the lips, fellas. I might get emotionally invested. (laughs) (laughs) Which I enjoyed. The Bushwhackers are so unattractive. I ain't no fucking oil painting. Although actually I could say I am because the listeners don't fucking know. Apart from those bloody perverts, man, bloody true penny. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just horrible to look at. But they've got not 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 Matt, not Matt and True Penny, the Bushwhackers. No, 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 no. They are bloody handsome men, to be honest. I saw Tinky. I reckon he had a little boner during both of those episodes. But um, yeah, the Bushwhackers just not good in the ring. Jimmy Hart does have amazing pants on. He has the medium <laughs> pants on, and uh, that's my note from the match. Jimmy Hart in tremendous pants. And then he runs down the aisle, massive pants as well. You could say they're shorts. I'd say they're shorts, but hey, you know what? And uh, this is the high point of a predictably bang average match. But it's the main event, six stars. Bang average is doing it some favours, I think. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I need to correct something I said earlier, where I said nothing on this card can really outstay its welcome, because this does <laughs> by about two and a half minutes. <laughs> I, I quite like the Rougeau brothers. I, I always quite like them. I love, always love how, again, like like he did in his Mount Helio. Is it Jacques? He yep. sings, obviously belts his song out on the way down. Lovely old job. But yeah, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in fairness, he summed it up better than I could. He also summed it up in bushwhacker language, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and this is my era. This is my stuff. You know, this is my bit, and I'm struggling to defend this. You don't have to like it all, Tom. It's all right. No, it's not going to like be upset at you for, for turning your back on it. You bloody no. will. What if 1989 has a go at me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, three minutes long. And I actually think Rougeau Brothers and the Bushwhackers have a match on a show around about this time, which I think is like 20 minutes in length. I'm not even oh, joking. My. I think it might oh. be SummerSlam of this hang, year. Hang on, hang on. I might have to go off and be sick. (laughs) I think it is SummerSlam of 89. I think they have this just horrifically long match and it is painful. Um, I may be misremembering. There's some at some point they have a match and it's just too long and rubbish. I, I love the I love the fact that the match is probably like six minutes long, but in your mind it's twenty <laughs> minutes long. Yeah, this one was ten minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was only three. So yes, the, the the Bushwhackers get their victory. This can't be that long into the Bushwhackers' time in WF because we saw them obviously at the Great American Bash the previous year. So it's their national TV debut, they say, which also. They describe as bloody lovely. <laughs> that is the best thing about Bushwhackers. Yes. It's I mean, fair to say. Where is that phrase come from? Is that a New Zealand thing? Let's assume so. <laughs> yeah. So then it's time for the um, advert break um, relay that we get in the next, in the last like three <laughs> minutes. Because <laughs> it's an advert break. Then we're back with Hulk Hogan talking to Gene Oakland. Who's, he then says that DiBiase and Zeus need to be stopped. 
he says that his team of Roberts and Demolition will survive on Thanksgiving night at Survivor Series. His voice cracks at the end and he goes, he goes we're going to do him in, Bean Gene. <laughs> he's, he's an emotional man. Yes. Yes. Then we go to another break. Then we get some talk by Vince Man and Jesse Ventura and they say, come back in a moment. We'll have some more for you. And they literally come back and say goodbye. <laughs> I just, they do this on everyone. I'm just like, why the fuck does anyone fall for this? Why is anyone still watching? Like, surely they've turned off by now. It's crazy. I'm well, still bloody you... waiting. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. What they do quite a lot in American TV. So I can remember, you remember like how there would always be like a end credits kind of short scene in like Friends, for example. Yeah, yeah. What they tend to do in American TV, from what I've seen, is that they'll go to like a break after the end of the episode. Then they'll go for the you know the end credit bit and then that will go straight into the next yeah. program yeah so that's obviously why but it, it if you're not actually watching it on tv then you're like why why not just edit all this stuff out but here they go to break vince man and jesse ventura maybe speak for 20 seconds then they go to break again and speak for another five seconds i mean that's even overdoing it for american television surely I reckon they're, they're like they're anticipating like someone who's watching this one. It's like the twenty third, twenty third episode of Saturday Night's main event, and they be like, they fooled me twenty two times. <laughs> they're not going to do it again. They're not going to do. It. Oh, okay. Well, Could have got an extra two minutes sleep. It's obviously the advertising, isn't it? They obviously had so much advertising being thrown at them that they were like, well, we need the breaks. Yeah, it was doing very good ratings. I mean, obviously, the fact that NBC were willing to give them four nights a year to do Saturday night's main event, prime time on a Saturday night is is impressive. So they were they, yeah. they were obviously just printing money at the time. So it's time to talk about our final thoughts, our overview of our uh, of the show, our scores out of 10, our MVP and our match of the nights. Let's start with you, Tom. My match of the night is going to the opener between Macho King and uh and snooker so i enjoyed that my mvp of the night is a member of this match and that's sensational queen sherry but she was fantastic and my overall rating you guys are going to look at me like i'm mental is a seven because it's insane because because it's a five for me (laughs) and then it gets the extra two points so that's why it gets the old saturday night's main event bump yeah it's got uh it's got saturday night's main event waiting attached to it (laughs) so I gotta be honest, I didn't really like this. I uh, I found this quite a struggle to get through. Yeah, which was uh, it's quite sad, really. I found it all a bit sad. <laughs> I found this really. Like, I found this part of me is like this is sad because wrestling isn't like this anymore. But then the other part of me was sad because it could have been so much better than this than they put out. But I get it. It's on a, a national TV, so it's. Like you said, Tiggy, it's four times a year. So for what it is, it's all right. It's getting a three from me. The match of the night is Big Tito and Ricky because of all the stuff that goes around. If, if people want to know why, have a little rewind and go back and listen to Tommy break down the match. And you've got every reason why I liked it. Because it's got everything. It's got everything I wanted and everything this show needed as well. Little set for Survivor Series. Lovely. My MVP is Bordering Impossible. So I will go for Jesse Ventura's hair thing. <laughs> the Rick James maker of men. Men. Cool. So my rating is going to be a four. I think it was a struggle for me to get through, but it was there was some good there was some good bits. I quite liked. In fact, three of the matches held up to me. It's just 
we didn't see all two of them and that was a disappointment because they were likely to have dragged this up a notch if they if we had seen them all my i'm going to just for balance sake i'm going to give hogan and dibiase my match of the night because i think the three matches we've listed are all of a decent quality and i think savage and snooker we at least see all of it so it kind of it kind of just matches the other two and um mvp i'm really struggling i'm going to give it to dibiase because i think well, to be honest, Ted. yeah i think he's probably does the best stuff on the show or the stuff I most enjoyed anyway. No, I should have changed my mind. Randy oh, Savage. bloody hell. Randy Savage is going to get it because we talked about it at the beginning and it was actually the bit that I was most impressed with is just the amount that Randy Savage invests in it. Like he really makes you believe in it. He really commits to it. And I can't, you can't argue with that when you're saddled with the King gimmick and you get as much out of it as he does. Got to give him some credit. So, that's um that's my MVP match of the night and my rating is a four. Outstanding. What I liked it was that all different matches. Yeah. Fucking mm. I thought have we had that before? <clears throat> probably once, but I can't remember what it would have been. But I think we probably have had it once. Probably once would be a great love song. <laughs> probably once <laughs> when I kiss you. Probably once when I fist you. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's beautiful man beautiful stuff so um yeah other than other than to advertise tom's coming album that's there's going to be out (laughs) it's 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 a kavanaugh covers album (laughs) (laughs) other than that original composition that you just came out with i thought it was tom's coming album which is just audio of him coming (laughs) (laughs) oh no so quick <laughs> pass me that cigarette and then just mean gene going put that cigarette out in the <laughs> yeah. background not not on the lips i might get emotionally attached he says <laughs> so yeah other than to advertise that particular album uh it's time for the game and old man you're our host this week so what i would like you to do is to name ted dibiase's wrestlemania opponents so there are nine answers I'll be honest, I'm anticipating you getting all of these. So there's a little tiebreaker and there might be a second tiebreaker. We'll have to see because I don't know how the first tiebreaker is going to win now. I'm saying it out loud. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. So let's go with you first, Tommy. I, I, you know what? I can't fucking remember any of them for some reason. Um, uh, Hogan. Correct. Do you say WrestleMania opponents? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Uh, Brutus Beefcake. Correct. On two occasions. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm completely done. Um, You've uh, got this, mate. Dusty Rhodes? I'm afraid not. Oh, no. no. I, I'm completely done. I've got no idea. I, I cannot remember any. Do you know, it's funny, when I was thinking, when I was doing my little little speech about Ted DiBiase earlier, one of the things I was going to say is that I don't think of any particularly memorable moments memorable moments in ring from Ted DiBiase. It's all out of the ring and angles. So, yeah, I cannot remember at all. So I've got... Randy Savage, main event WrestleMania four. Yeah. Earthquake and Typhoon at WrestleMania yeah. eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got Jake Roberts, although I'm not absolutely certain that's right either. Yeah. And I'm assuming he would have beaten someone else in the tournament at WrestleMania four, but for the life of me, I can't remember who. So it beats Jim Duggan in the first round. Right. Then Don Morocco mm. in the second round, and of course he fights Virgil. 
Ah, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the tiebreaker. So there are, hang on, there are eight matches altogether. How many matches have ended by pinfall? Do you reckon? Who's <laughs> eight? What? Three. I'm going to go one. It is three. And wow. it's the three in WrestleMania four. So Beefcake singles match, double count out. Roberts wins by a count out. Virgil loses by a count out. And against the Natural Disasters, lose by count out with uh, Big IRS. On purpose, I think, as well. <laughs> Deliberately. Yeah, to retain the yeah. yeah. And uh, against Hogan and Beefcake at WrestleMania nine. They win by DQ in what I believe is an 18-minute tag match. <laughs> which, that, given gold, the people involved... Golden era, mate. Golden era. <laughs> that was absolute golden era. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's not surprising. They did a lot of that back in the day, and they obviously wanted to protect DBRC from, from being they pinned. Did. We're going to have to... I think we need to up our game. The last few games have been a bit... Yeah, my last, one, my last one in particular was shit. Obscure WCW tag teams from the 90s. I can't yeah. believe you get more. We should have done better, in fairness. Uh, we both should have done better. And I think we probably should have done better there too. But hopefully things will improve in the next few weeks. The trouble is, is we're going outside the box a little, aren't we? Mm. And once I'm outside the box, I tend to crease up. The opposite <laughs> of a well-packed shirt. That brings us to the end of today's show. I didn't really know how to respond to what you said, old man. <laughs> Just carry on. So, uh, thank you for joining me today, old man. Thank you very much. And as I said to the listener earlier, and to you scumbags, speak as I, what is it? What's the saying? <laughs> <laughs> do, do as I say, not as I do. And always remember, Ken Patera. And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week with another randomly reviewed wrestling show. But until then, take care. (laughs) 